the first lesson is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 12 to 17 and 27 to the end. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counsellor has instructed him? Whom did he consult for his enlightenment? And who taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Even the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are as accounted as dust on the scales. See, he takes up the isles like fine dust. Lebanon would not provide fuel enough nor are its animals enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Here ends the first lesson. The second reading, the Gospel reading, is taken from the Gospel according to St Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. The commissioning of the disciples. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. I wonder if you know anyone who just has to have the last word. For those of us living with several other family members during these days of extended lockdown, it's probably fair to say that our daily multiple meal times have varied between wonderfully warm and tender moments full of laughter and joy, right through to rowdy, outspoken, heated and sometimes downright infuriating times. It seems in my family that everyone wants to have the last word. I just can't fathom where they get that from. So what about famous last words? What is it about someone's final words that fascinates us? 
that makes us sit up and listen. I'm sure we all know and love Spike Milligan's legendary epitaph for his tombstone ordered before his death, written in Irish, which simply says, I told you I was ill. Or how about Humphrey Bogart, whose last words I take very seriously and were apparently, I should never have switched from scotch to martinis. I suppose someone's final words, not just before they die perhaps, but before a significant moment in their life, maybe reflecting on a lifetime of work before retirement or before departing on a long journey or moving away. These words carry real significance or substance. Words that can give us a real glimpse into the heart of someone's heart, what really matters to them. Or less significantly, when Sarah and I had the opportunity with young children to go out for an evening, we'd always make sure that we left the babysitter with precise instructions written on a note stuck to the fridge where we were going, how to contact us, what to feed the kids, what not to feed the kids despite them asking, what to do in an emergency, where the first aid kit was, etc. But if you knew that you only had an hour or so left on this earth, what on earth might you want to say to your friends, your family, your colleagues or neighbours? What would be your last words? I guess I'd want to leave something behind really important, a clear, simple message about what's most important to me, about my hopes, longings, thoughts and prayers for each of them left behind. So therefore, I think we need to take these last few words of Jesus from our Gospel reading today, Matthew, really seriously. These are his highlighted post-it note on the fridge to all believers for all time until he returns. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So picture the scene that Matthew's painting for us here. It's only a matter of days since Jesus, the man who had been their teacher, their master, their friend for over three years, had been arrested, beaten, executed by the Romans on the cross. And here are the 11 disciples which in itself is a significant and painful detail for them all, Jesus included. Judas, of course, is not with them. He's died, broken and ashamed after his betrayal of Jesus. And notice verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Actually, I think doubt can be a bit of a dirty word in Christian circles, but it both puzzles me and comforts me that in the wisdom of God, this very real human emotion is recognised and honestly acknowledged as the Spirit of God inspired this written account by Matthew. I mean, we're very quick to use Thomas's nickname, aren't we? Doubting Thomas. But when I see Thomas, I see a man searching for truth, longing for an encounter, a solid rock to build his life on. He voices the questions others are too afraid to ask. And he, of course, having encountered the risen Christ, ultimately makes one of the most explicit, unambiguous declarations of faith found in the Gospels. In John 20, verse 28, my Lord and my God. Actually, the Greek words used here for doubt, distazel, could probably better be translated as waver or hesitate. It's a word only found twice in the whole New Testament, here and in the account of Peter joining Jesus walking on the water. Or more accurately, it's used as he starts to sink. Both these accounts then are marked by worship and doubt. 
Peter, longing to be with Jesus, flings his leg over the side of the boat and runs to him before his head kicks in. As the waves rear up, his faith gives way to fear. So this Greek word carries a sense of standing in two places at the same time or being of two minds. And that gives me great encouragement. Because Jesus commissions not perfect disciples, spiritual, unquestioning giants of faith, but people who both worship and struggle as they stand at the edge of the world that's passing away and a new one is coming at them a new horizon and landscape that they're called to press into and shape. Jesus doesn't pick faultless masterminds, unwavering eggheads or infallible chasers. He chooses you and me. Or as the Passion Translation of 1 Corinthians 1 verses 27 to 29 tells us, God chose those whom the world considered foolish to shame those who think they are wise. And God chose the puny and the powerless to shame the high and mighty. He chose the lowly, the laughable in the world's eyes, nobodies, so that he would shame the somebodies. And so in these complicated days of lockdown, where faith and fear may well lock horns, where our hope in Jesus may well look like Peter sailing above the waves, or more like Peter thrashing about in the waves, in these days, our great hope and salvation is found in one who hasn't left us alone, hasn't abandoned us without direction or purpose, bereft of instructions or resources. No, Jesus has called us, commissioned us and compelled us to go. And do what? What were those first disciples called to? What are we then called to do some 2000 years later? Well, he didn't say, go and find a comfortable church and just enjoy that. He didn't say, try and do occasional nice things for other people when you can. And he didn't say, just make sure you know as much stuff as possible so you can look bright and out-argue anyone. He simply said, go. Go and make disciples. Yes, maybe the world is a little different now. Perhaps less than we imagine, though. But the commission hasn't changed. It's the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion. And the message hasn't changed either. It's actually ridiculously simple and should cost us everything. We, the Church of Jesus Christ, are simply called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, to love our neighbour as ourselves and to go and make disciples. That is what God is asking of us. Ludwig von Zindendorf, who was a German religious social reformer and bishop of the Moravian Church, once famously said this. Every heart with Christ is a missionary. Every heart without Christ is a mission field. Making disciples isn't just about evangelism and making converts, although that is part of proclaiming the gospel to many who have no idea of the saving love of Christ. For as Jesus tells us, the harvest fields are white. But the purpose of the church is to make learning, living believers, men and women whose lives reflect a deep commitment to and love for the Lord, his word, his works and his people. And when we waver or struggle or become overwhelmed with waves of fear or doubt, well, that's when we must learn to call on the Lord, like Peter, to experience God's grace and power. As we heard today in Isaiah, even youths will faint and be weary, 
and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Both the early church and we today then are able to endure and flourish because we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to guide and sustain us. You know, those first disciples weren't particularly sophisticated. They weren't learned theologians or gifted beyond the ordinary. They were just average people who fully gave themselves over to God and allowed God to work through them to build his church in the power of his spirit. They were prepared to take risks, prepared to step out in faith because they trusted God to do the work through them and sometimes in spite of them. May we be like them. So in these critical days in our city and our land, may the church of Jesus imbue more fully those characteristics of faith, yieldedness and submission to the will of God, the Lordship of Jesus and the fellowship and power of the Holy Spirit with a passion for God and for our community so that many may increasingly be led to God themselves through the words, works, wonders and witness of our family of churches here in Whitcomb. Amen. And on this Trinity Sunday, I just want to close with the wonderfully simple yet profoundly daily prayer taken from my Lexio 365 app that I use daily. It's linked to the 24-7 movement. I love this prayer and I'm going to pray as I close now. Let's pray. Father, help me to live this day to the full, being true to you in every way. Jesus, help me to give myself away to others, being kind to everyone I meet. Spirit, help me to love the lost, proclaiming Christ in all I do and stay. Amen.
Let us pray. Almighty God, we come before you to share the concerns in our hearts and those of people the world over. We come because Jesus taught us that your love for us is unending, whatever our circumstances, and by giving up his life for us, showed the way to an everlasting life. Thank you for showing yourself in so many ways, as God the maker of all things in our beautiful planet, as a man undergoing human trials to achieve freedom for all, and as a spirit of wisdom and love living in and upholding all of us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for and thank you for our church here in Widcombe and throughout Bath, and for wisdom in all those involved in leading and working in our parish in these new virtual ways, and especially for Tim, Jenny and Judith and our church teams in St Thomas and St Matt's. We thank you that we have still been able to read, listen, watch and join in our weekly and daily worship. We pray for those issues between the churches that cause division. We pray in particular for Archbishop Justin Welby and Pope Francis's efforts to bring unity and echo Francis's plea that we become more deeply united as witnesses of mercy for the human family. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for people caught up in the pandemic across the world, piling on suffering in already traumatised places such as Syria, Iraq, Palestine, Libya and Myanmar, and now in Minneapolis and other US cities and so many other parts of the world. Let hearts and minds which have refused to listen to the cries of the people now be stirred into action to halt inter-ethnic and political conflicts and focus on the well-being and health of their people. And Lord, help us to see what we can do to look after this wonderful planet that we are seeing in the wonders of a beautiful spring and early summer as we look out of our houses or walk with social distance. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We think now of those in need in our own community, older people, people unable to leave their homes, and people in care homes, hospital and hospices. For all those who are affected, are affected by coronavirus through illness or isolation or anxiety, may they find relief and recovery. For parents, teachers and children, as they decide whether it is safe enough to go back to school, may they find calm reflection to help them take the best course. For those who are charged with guiding our nation and shaping national policies, may they make wise decisions for us all. For doctors, nurses and all health and care staff, as well as medical researchers, may they keep safe and through their skill and insights, continue to restore us to health. For the vulnerable and the fearful, for the gravely ill and the dying, may they know your comfort 
and peace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those who face the pain of grief, whether from a recent loss or from long ago. Help us to support all those who mourn, especially when they may be separated from their loved ones during the lockdown. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we thank you for all the moments of joy you give to us, and especially those times when we know your love in our hearts and in our lives. And finally, a prayer from Dionysius, the Areopagite, who in about 500 AD was writing and actually pretending to be someone else, but that's another story. And his prayer is inspiring, if rather mystical. Most exalted Trinity, divinity above all knowledge, whose goodness passes understanding, who guides Christians to divine wisdom, direct our way to the summit of your mystical oracles, most incomprehensible, most lucid, and most exalted, where the simple and pure and unchangeable mysteries of theology are revealed in the darkness, clearer than light, a darkness that shines brighter than light, that invisibly and intangibly illuminates with splendours of inconceivable beauty the soul that sees not. Let this be my prayer. Merciful Father, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.